Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we take a deeper look at changes to border and immigration policy under President Biden. President Trump made immigration and the southern border a major focus of his rhetoric and his administration's policies. He instituted many policies that immigration advocates say were damaging or harmful. When President Biden took office, many of his first actions responded directly to Trump's policies. Teresa Cardinal-Brown is Director of Immigration and Cross-Border Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington, D.C. We asked her how many of Biden's initial immigration moves repealed or overturned Trump policies. So President Biden, early on his first day in office, signed a slew of executive orders and proclamations, uh, at least four of which were directly related to immigration and all of which were reversing it or reevaluating in some measure President Trump's policies. Um, sort of the biggest ones from there was a repeal of the so-called travel ban or Muslim ban that President Trump had put in place very early in his presidency, the case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Another one was to revoke the um, emergency action for the border wall and to order a a stop to uh, construction of the border wall. He also reinstated fully the DACA program, which the Trump administration had tried to end. Um, A couple of weeks ago, he signed an additional slew of executive orders. These were more directional to different departments and agencies, many of which were to evaluate Uh, measures taken under the Trump administration and make recommendations for change. Um, He also just recently, within the last week, repealed another one of Trump's uh, visa bans. This one was the immigrant visa ban that was enacted in 2020. Uh, The rationale that Mr. Trump put in place at the time was to deny um, people who otherwise would come legally on immigrant visas Uh, while we were in the midst of the recession caused by the pandemic. And President Biden uh, revoked that or most of those executive orders. So he's taken some significant steps early on to address these policies. There's more that he is undertaking. And now a lot of the movement is in the agencies, for example, to reexamine immigration enforcement programs at Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So we'll probably see more memorandums and announcement from the agencies and departments over the next several months. Let's dive into some of these individually, some of the things you mentioned. One of the high profile aspects was the family separation at the border under the Trump administration. There are still hundreds of children who remain separated from their parents. But the Biden administration announced this week that it will allow families separated at the southern border to reunite and remain in the U.S. if they choose. So, Is family separation still occurring on the southern border? Yes, but much fewer cases. So I think the major difference to understand when it comes to family separation was the intent of the administrations in doing so and how it was conducted. Certain times, uh, children were separated from family members they arrived with under the Obama administration and previous administrations. Usually that was for reasons of that the adult accompanying the child didn't have legal custody of the child or the relationship couldn't be confirmed or the adult may have been had a criminal record or have for the safety of the child. So those incidences happened. They weren't uh, systemic, if you will, or systematic, and they weren't they were based on on some other factor. 
the Trump policy was a blanket policy of prosecuting all adults who arrived to the country illegally and thereby separating the children from them. There was no other reason other than the prosecution, and that was done in an effort to deter migration. So both the purpose and the scope, uh, thousands and thousands of children were separated from their parents under the Trump administration under that policy until it was rescinded. I think the Biden administration has gone back to what I would say was the previous policy of the Obama administration, separation in cases where it is a matter of child welfare. They can't um, confirm that the adult is a family member or has custody. Um, so that is still happening, but less. And more importantly, uh, the, the Trump administration made no plan for ever reuniting the children that had been separated from parents. And Biden, again, one of his day one executive orders was create, to create this intergovernmental task force to work with non-governmental organizations to reunite these families. As you mentioned just today, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas announced that they would uh, allow the parents to try to reunite and come to the United States if there is a legal way to do so. The Trump administration was using what was known as Title 42 to allow for the immediate expulsion of migrants during the pandemic. What's the Biden administration doing with Title 42? Well, um, they have kept Title 42 in place as, whether, as well as other border restrictions uh, on non-essential travel that have been put in place at the border. The one exception that the Biden administration has made is they have determined they will not expel unaccompanied children under Title 42. Um, so that is one reason why unaccompanied children arrivals are ticking up and why they have more people that they're having, more unaccompanied children they're having to process through the system. You know, one of the conditions and one of the concerns of the Biden administration is with COVID still out there in Mexico and the United States, if they remove the Title 42 restrictions right now, they could see an increase in arrival that um, would be beyond the capability of the border agencies to manage with effective COVID protocols. If you look at, for example, what they're doing with the re-admission um, of people who've been in Mexico under the Remain in Mexico policy, they are doing that in a very orderly fashion, working with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and the International Organization of Migration to register people who are be coming back, make sure they are COVID tested before they are coming back in the United States, and then processing them in certain numbers at a time through the ports of entry. So they're making sure they can do it in an orderly fashion. And I think the Biden administration so far has kept Title 42 in place because it assists them in having time to reformulate these facilities, put in place orderly processing, allow for COVID testing and all the things they would need to manage what might be an inflow that occurred if they were to take Title 42 away. Some people viewed President Biden's election as a sea change for immigration policy. From a national standpoint, what policies appear to be staying the same under the Biden administration as they've been for a while, either under the Trump administration or even under the Obama administration or further back? 
I mean, the Title 42 is one that advocates um, have been pushing very hard on the Biden administration to take down. They see it as a as a relic of the Trump administration. It was put in place by the, the Centers for Disease Control, but some of the reporting at the time indicated that even the health officials there didn't necessarily believe it was really a health-related order. It was more uh, a, one of many things that the Trump administration did to essentially deter and, and prevent asylum seekers from arriving to the border. And that's why they're demanding that it come down. As I mentioned, I think the Biden administration for operational purposes is keeping it up for now. Other areas, though, uh, the Trump administration in the last months, as I mentioned, issued some proclamations stopping immigrant visa arrivals, both family-based, employment-based, and diversity visas. Another part of that executive order uh, denied non-immigrant visas or temporary visas to workers who were coming in on H-1B or H-2B or J visas unless they were in, quote unquote, essential uh, positions. The Biden administration kept that provision in place. I think similar to the COVID border restrictions, uh, they are seeing it as a way of managing. But again, um, the rationale of those executive orders was not about managing entry of COVID. It was about not letting immigrants in who might be considered to take jobs that Americans would have. But there have been a lot of companies that have said, look, the reason we're hiring these people is because we can't find Americans, even with the unemployment where it is. These are essential people. And in some cases, we've already certified that we can't find U.S. workers before they were approved to come in. Why are we not letting them in? We really can't talk about immigration policy, especially in Arizona, without bringing up DREAMers or DACA recipients. Can DACA recipients, DREAMers, breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief uh, with a change in the White House, or are they still in a bit of a precarious position? The DACA program is still in danger. Um, it's not in danger from the administration anymore. As I mentioned, President Biden uh, reinstated the program, but it is in danger in the courts. Um, a lawsuit brought by the Texas Attorney General and several other states in a southern district of Texas um, is uh, pending right now. The judge of the de the decision of judge uh, the judge there as to whether the DACA program itself was legally created by President Obama in 2012. If that judge rules against the program, the program would be ended and people who have status might, be, uh, might lose that status. So the program is definitely still in jeopardy. Um, and you know that is one of the reasons why we've seen uh, a renewed push for DREAM Act legislation in Congress. Um, Senator Richard Durbin and Senator Lindsey Graham uh, reintroduced a bipartisan bill in the Senate. There's a uh, discussion about the House repassing a bill it passed last year called the Dream and Promise Act. Um, I, would, I, I wish I could say that dreamers were safe, but uh, the short answer is uh, they have a temporary reprieve, uh, but the, the danger is still out there unless or until Congress acts. You brought up Congress acting. We have seen a number of attempts over the last almost 20 years at comprehensive immigration reform. Is there any chance that can happen, do you think, during the next four years? Well, we've just recently seen uh, a a comprehensive immigration reform bill that President Biden proposed on the campaign trail was introduced in Congress by Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey and Representative Linda Sanchez of California in the House in the Senate in the House. But re realistically, I don't think that given the slim majorities that Democrats have in the House and the Senate, a comprehensive bill is going to pass. I think there's a lot more attention and focus on these sort of smaller 
bills that might eventually pave the way for bigger legislation. So can we get the DREAM Act or relief for dreamers passed? Uh, there's bipartisan support for a farm worker bill that passed last year in the House. Can that pass? What about relief for the so-called essential workers uh, in many industries who have supported us in healthcare, in home services, in retail and cleaning services and other places that have really kept us floating uh, during the pandemic close downs? Is there, is there a valuable pathway for them? I think those are the kinds of bills that you will see trying to move early uh, in in Congress because they have the strongest chance of having bipartisan legislation. And if, if they can pass and be enacted, one, that would be uh, a big relief for the number of people that are covered under those, but it might also help Congress remember what it's at, like to legislate on these issues and that uh, if they do so, the sky doesn't necessarily fall in and we can continue to look at broader based uh, immigration reforms that are still necessary. One of the issues that Southern Arizona is always paying attention to is the unfortunate number of human remains that are recovered in the borderland desert area, 220 uh, last year, one of the deadliest years on record in Arizona. Is there anything that Washington, be it Congress or the president, can do about that? Well, I mean, it's an unfortunate consequence of the fact that we have an awful lot of people who are trying to make their way into the United States who are coming from very, very bad conditions where they are and see this um, avenue of hope, a, a lifeline to try to come in and are willing to make such dangerous journeys and uh, undertake such dangerous travel to try to get here. I think what we're seeing the Biden administration, their, their preferred means of trying to address this is not to encourage folks to take the dangerous trip, but to try to find legal avenues that they might be able to come. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. You're welcome. That was Teresa Cardinal-Brown, Director of Immigration and Cross-Border Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center. Since mid-2019, the Casa Alitas Welcome Center has operated out of the Pima County Juvenile Detention Center, offering aid and care to those fleeing their home countries and helping them reunite with their families in the U.S. while they await immigration hearings. The center is run by Catholic Community Services of Southern Arizona and funded by donations. Teresa Cavendish with Casa Alitas talked with Tony Paniagua of our sister show, Arizona 360. In their discussion, they reference MPP, which stands for Migrant Protection Protocols. It's also known as the Remain in Mexico policy. Can you please tell us about the protocols that you have had over the past year because of the pandemic that's been going on? So as Casa Alitas has continued to receive individuals being released out of ICE or Border Patrol or CBP custody, we've had to be very cautious about making sure those folks don't integrate back out into the communities without being tested for COVID or quarantining if necessary. So everyone who has come to us has received a COVID test. And then if they were negative, they were able to travel forth to their sponsors and family in the US. If not, they remained with the Casa Alitas Welcome Center staff in quarantine and uh, received medical oversight and any type of assistance they needed until they tested negative. And then we provided the same assistance to move them forward. And how did MPP and other Trump policies meant to restrict asylum seekers uh, have an impact on your numbers, the numbers of people that you saw and your operations? 
It definitely had an impact on us. We did not see MPP become fully implemented in the Tucson sector until about January of 2020, which was very shortly before the, the pandemic really took hold of all of our communities. We saw the number of folks coming to us drop from you know, 25 to 40 folks a day at that point, down into very, very few numbers. Um, however, over the 2020 year, we still received um, approximately 1,100 folks through Casa Alitas. So even with MPP, people were still being allowed into the United States. It seemed like, quote, nobody was getting in uh, because of the Trump policies. There were very few exceptions, but there were exceptions. And in many cases, it was individuals who had um, significant health concerns or injuries, or um, possibly had a you know, developmental disability uh, member within their family group that put them at extremely high risk. There were also some families because of their national origin were able to, to sneak through um, some of the restrictions. You recently put out a call for volunteers. What are you expecting in the next few weeks or months? We are expecting a significant uptick in the number of individuals who will be coming, who will be allowed entry into the U.S. As we've already seen, MPP has started to roll back in in certain ports of entry within the U.S. That has not happened in Arizona, though it's uh, certainly a possibility that will occur. Uh, we have been in very close contact with ICE and Border Patrol and CBP um, as they have are engaging uh, more proactively with the communities and the border shelters, making us aware of the upcoming increase in numbers that, that they know will be admitted. So we are reaching back out to our community, to our existing volunteers and hopefully new volunteers to help us respond to this um, because we are already starting to see an increase in the folks coming to us. Is the message getting out to Central America and other parts of the world, perhaps, that the Biden administration is going to be much more welcoming and therefore people are taking a chance and traveling north? I can only imagine that's the case. And logically, it uh, makes perfect sense that that would be the case, that those messages are being carried through through social media, through word of mouth and through um, probably even less formal means of communication to make people aware that if you are in a situation in your home country where you are in danger, your children are in danger, um, you are, uh, it is untenable for you to remain there, that the same desire for um, safety, the same hope for the security of your family is going to drive these new folks forward as well. Teresa, you mentioned more communication with ICE and the Border Patrol. Back in 2018 and 2019, they were dropping migrants off at Greyhound stations in places like Phoenix and Tucson. And then later they started taking them to places like Casa Alitas. What do you think is going to be happening here in the near future? Have, you, have they told you, the federal government officials told you what they plan to do next? Yes, they definitely are communicating uh, the parameters under which they are operating and um, trying to assess, literally on a daily basis, they are trying to assess what our capacity is to respond to their need to, to remove folks from their custody into the, the community itself. So within Tucson, we have had a much better communication with ICE and Border Patrol and CBP than in some other communities, even as such as Phoenix. Uh, we're not that far apart geographically, but we are pretty far apart or have been in the past with our communication modes. So uh, 
we work very hard both as uh, Casalitas as an organization as well as these these specific DHS entities work very hard to keep a good open form of communication but they um, they have parameters under which they are required to operate they make it very clear to us what that means and then Casalitas reaches back out to the community as well as our partners in Pima County and the city of Tucson to uh, to gather as many resources as possible to respond. And Teresa, whether you agree with Trump's policies or not, uh, or not, millions of people did support his tough stand on illegal immigration and the fact that he was trying to keep more asylum seekers from entering this nation. What would you say to them, to those people who supported Trump's policies, when they say we don't we don't even have enough resources for people in this country, let alone allowing tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people into this country a year, additional people? The way that that I've always had to think about it. I get overwhelmed by the numbers. So when I think about 60,000, 400,000, whatever number of folks it is that approach our borders every year looking for for asylum, I get overwhelmed just as much as anyone else does and think it's just not possible to respond to those type of numbers. Instead, I, I focus on the individuals, the people themselves who come to you. And when you are responding directly to a mom who is trying to protect her her two little children and has fled a, a life-threatening situation in her home country, and the only hope that she has for their health and safety is the United States, you respond differently to an individual and to a person in their story than you might when you're overwhelmed by the numbers. Teresa Cavendish, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. That was Teresa Cavendish of the Casa Alitas Welcome Center talking with AZPM's Tony Paniagua. She said changes to asylum under the Trump administration led to a drop in people using services like the one she provides in 2020. AZPM's border and immigration reporter Elisa Resnick tells us about a pandemic-related protocol that aid groups say is putting migrants in harm's way before they even make it to the United States and shows no sign of stopping. Back in 2019, Cavendish says the Casa Alitas Welcome Center was helping anywhere from 25 to 45 people a day. But a dip came in February of last year when the MPP program, or Remain in Mexico, started rolling out at ports in Arizona. Then a few months later, another change came. So in addition to the MPP having an impact on people being admitted, there also was the Title 42 Act that was was uh, requiring that individuals who were attempting to admit themselves into the country were turned back. Title 42 is a pandemic-era protocol that allows Border Patrol agents to circumvent normal processing and send almost all migrants back across the border in a matter of hours. It was enacted around this time last year, just as Arizonans were being asked to stay at home to curb the spread of COVID-19. Cavendish says her center expects to be helping more migrants soon, as some Trump administration policies roll back. She's working with the city and county to find a larger space to accommodate them. But so far, all of that is hypothetical. MPP processing isn't happening at Arizona ports right now. Advocates say they're not sure when that will change. Meanwhile, more than 400,000 people have been expelled under Title 42 across the border so far. Joanna Williams with the Nogales aid group Kino Border Initiative says her center received 500 expelled migrants in February alone. I think one of our biggest concerns with those expulsions, the lack of access to asylum, 
But another procedural concern is that people are being expelled in the middle of the night. Williams says Border Patrol agents have dropped off migrants as late as 2 in the morning when services like shelters are closed for the night and the risk of crime is higher. Migrants enrolled in MPP are being asked to register with the United Nations Refugee Agency, or UNHCR. And while that's a first step, Williams says people in Nogales face a lot of different asylum realities. So that includes people under MPP who are trying to now register on the UNHCR website as well as people who were never enrolled in MPP and were just waiting for their turn to, to seek asylum when the pandemic hit. But, and then we're continuing to see expulsions of people from many different nationalities. In January, migrants marched through the streets in Nogales asking Biden to save asylum. It was the latest in a series of migrant-led demonstrations in the city. But two months on, William says many of them still don't have answers about what comes next. The problem with the administration's efforts, or one problem with the administration's efforts, is that in general they aren't offering a clear plan of the path forward. He says that's especially true for people who have been subject to Title 42. Unlike those in pending immigration cases through MPP, people expelled under the public health order have no legal status in Mexico and no due process to claim asylum in the U.S. But when people are expelled and don't have legal status in Mexico and haven't had any right to access asylum in the U.S., it's very difficult for them to plan their next step. In a letter to the Department of Homeland Security in February, Williams outlined dozens of complaints filed by the Kino Border Initiative over the last four years, including one instance in which agents expelled a Honduran woman who was eight months pregnant and having contractions, and another where an asthmatic Salvadoran woman and her child were denied access to an inhaler and water. The letter asked DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to address those issues with a visit to Nogales, where he could hear from migrants firsthand. In a press briefing earlier this week, he said his agency was working to address some of those issues, but said migrants seeking protection would have to wait. We are not saying don't come. We are saying don't come now because we will be able to deliver um, a safe and orderly process to them uh, as quickly as possible. But so far, the Biden administration has given no signal that Title 42 will end anytime soon. Williams says her center receives migrants who have been expelled every week. And telling them not to come now to seek protection just isn't the way the process works on the ground. The kinds of messages that they're trying to transmit to Mexico and Central America aren't particularly credible. For years, the U.S. government has tried to do different advertising campaigns of simply saying, don't migrate or don't come. and The reality is that people have circumstances that are obliging them to leave. And until those needs are actually addressed, Williams says people in Nogales and elsewhere will simply remain in limbo. For The Buzz, I'm Elisa Resnick. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.